0: While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said that a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small amount. Take charge of ten cities. Second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you, because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit, so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, He already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. In
1: 1985 rock and roll song, became the number one song for three weeks. It was the most successful song by this British band. It told the story of two men working in an appliance store. And while working in the store, they were pushed to sell microwave ovens. But they noticed television's In part of the store, and they noticed on those televisions were musicians who appeared to get money for nothing. Fast forward three and a half decades. The concept of money for nothing seems to be spreading. From the welfare safety net of previous generations... Newer ideas include a living wage, a livable wage, and guaranteed minimum income. These ideas differ. One says that people deserve to meet their basic needs. Another definition says people deserve to have a, quote, decent standard of living, whatever decent is in your mind. And then the third one talks about different eligibility conditions that would have to be met. But I admit, they all seem to be money for nothing. Now, I admit that I cashed our first stimulus checks, and under previous administrations, we claimed earned income tax credits that were not wages for work performed. I'm not trying to be critical of all labor and tax policies. But what I want us to think about this morning is how the idea of I deserve to be rewarded apart from my efforts is contrary to the scripture and the parable that Jesus told us today. We have students in our church family who work very hard for their their grades. As a matter of fact, um, they receive good grades because they work so hard. We have other students who work very hard and they receive acceptable grades because of their learning style and other factors. The disruption of our classroom instruction has just been multiplied by the frustration of those who want learning to happen and those who just want to float through without any effort. I visited with some of our teachers and they they want progress. And some kids just... Logged into the Zoom call and then went about the rest of their day. You know, Jesus told another story about workers who, all of them, got a full day's wage. Even if they only worked a part of the day. However, in that story, contrary to those who just want to float by, is all of the people who received a wage from their master, were willing to work. Nobody just stayed at home and expected to be on the payroll. Also, Matthew records another similar story. Yet in Matt's account, there are three servants. One servant is given the equivalent of four years' wages. Another servant is given... 10 years wages and another one is given 20 years wages and then the king comes back and says what have you done with your 4 10 and 20. However in Luke's story in front of us I believe it's a different account because it's a different story because it's not three servants but it's 10 servants and in Luke's telling of Jesus' story all 10 receive one coin a coin that's identified as amina amina was is roughly a hundred days wages so figure about four months what an average wage would be each man in luke's story here is given the same opportunity yet each person treats their opportunity differently Let's begin by looking at a king who gives his assignments in verses 11 through 15. I see that we have a kingdom that is being built, and the building of a kingdom is a timely process. Jesus said back in chapter 10, verse 9 and 11, that the kingdom had come near. But verse 11 of this chapter reveals that they supposed, notice the word they supposed, that if the kingdom came near, it would appear immediately. But dangerous things happen when we suppose to know the will of God. Sometimes it takes time, but we as supposed differently. You know, I, I think many of us could honestly say, along with the musical group Casting Crowns, I was sure by now God would have reached down and wiped our tears away. He stepped in and saved the day. I was sure. I supposed. And we see in front of us the danger of supposing how and when God will act. Because... Jesus says the, king, the building of the kingdom is going to be a process and it's going to take time because regime change does not happen immediately. Even the surprising swiftness of the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan continues to take time as leaders purge the dissidents and as they continue to seek recognition from the world community. In many ways, it seems like it's already happened immediately. In other ways, it's still happening and it takes time. And to those who believe that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, immediately everything would be made right, Jesus said, now wait a second, let me tell you a story. There was a king who went away and then he came back. And as Jesus is telling his story, he is a master storyteller, and he draws people in to the events of his story because he actually peppered his parable with current events that were happening during the lifetime of his listeners. Because we know now, historically, Herod the Great had two sons, Archelaus and Antipas. And each of these sons assumed that they would receive their father's kingdom when he died. They assumed they would inherit the father's dominion. So both of these sons went to Rome so that one of them could be named king. But they were both sent back to the land of Palestine to their role of middle management. Neither one of them became king, but each of them was hated by the people that Jesus was teaching. Because one of these sons, Archelaus, was given the role to rule over the Jewish people. And Antipas was given the role to rule over the land or the territory that is Palestine. So one of these sons ruled over the Jews because they were Jews. One of these sons ruled over them because they lived in that land. And they hated him. They did not want these men to be their rulers. So Jesus introduces a story. A king came. The people did not want him to be their king, so he went away and then he came back. And so we see the history and the current events that, bought, that b- draws the listeners into the story. And while the process of building a kingdom can take years, Jesus gives recognition to those who contribute to the process. First of all, Jesus gives rewards to the faithful servants. Because the king expected the citizens to make progress. Notice the word in verse 15. He came back and he asked them what they had gained. Not if they had gained. He didn't ask if they had lost. He expected them to show gain. He expected them to make positive progress. He doesn't return to inquire if they had gained or lost. He doesn't inquire about what choices they made. He expects to celebrate their victories. And I wonder, do we expect less of ourselves than God does of us? Do we wallow in the mire of defeat when He has made us more than conquerors? Do we break down in our losses like Peter when he had denied Christ three times? Or do we hear the restoring and the reestablishing call of our Savior who says, tend my lambs. I think oftentimes we get lost in the defeat while our king expects us to make progress. A line from page 127 of Oz Guinness's book, The Call, which I've been reading recently, continues to ring in my ears. Oz writes, We are responsible because we are response-able. Between the first words of God's creation and the last word of His judgment, our ways of life are our response to God's word to us. God has spoken. God is calling each of us to do something And we are able to make a response to that call. Will we obey or not? How will I respond to his call on my life? Because when the king returns, he expects progress. I believe God expects us to be making progress in our Christian lives. But rather than blaming others or to blame our circumstances, God will hold each of us to give an account. And our account will be our response to his gifts and his calling. Each of us must say, God, I realize you gave to me these opportunities and this is how I responded to those opportunities. God desires that truth would replace the lies that we believe and that we would make gains by doing life His way. He expects that we will not be bound up in our failures, bound up in our losses, bound up in our mistakes, but he says, I have made you more than conquerors, and I expect you to be making positive progress. What have you done with the opportunities that I gave to you? But I noticed the difference in commendations. One man said, look, Master, your mina made ten more and the other says look master your mina made five more notice that the one who returned five was never compared to the one who earned ten because god puts us in different circumstances and god puts us in different situations with different opportunities Some may be more productive than others. But this is not a comparison game. You will not be held accountable for what I did with my gifts. And as an overseer, as a shepherd, I will be held accountable for how you exercise your gifts. So that's why I'm calling each of us to expect to make progress and to move forward rather than to stay at home on the couch and expect money for nothing. The king's question is simply, what have you done with what I entrusted to you? And you will be rewarded according to your initiative. And I chose the word initiative on purpose because any of you children who were here Wednesday night heard about initiative. And many of you who were in Sunday school this morning heard about initiative. Do any of our younger children happen to remember what initiative is? Do you remember the definition of initiative? Nobody wants to talk out loud. Seeing what needs to be done and doing it. I saw that poster in one of the rooms. Initiative. Not that we sit at home on the couch, but we see what needs to be done and we do it. And God is calling us as His children to open our eyes to see what needs to be done, and to do it. To exercise initiative based upon the opportunities that he gives to us. I believe that just as this parable highlights that when Jesus returns, or when the king returns, things get better for the faithful servants, I think we need to hold on to the promise that when Jesus returns, things will be favorable for the faithful. Because John records this promise made by Jesus in the book of Revelation. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. John records that Jesus says, I'm going to reward according to what you have done. I'm going to reward if you show, what is it, kids? Initiative. Even to the church at Corinth that got a lot of things wrong, Paul wrote to them, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward so john wrote about it for jesus paul wrote about it to corinth a church that messed up but he says when you do things right you will receive a reward at the very end of paul's ministry he writes to young timothy his hope paul says henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day And not only to me, but to all those who loved his appearing. And finally, in the verse that follows the memory verse that our children are memorizing this month in Kids Club, they're memorizing Colossians 3.23, the next verse says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. See, Jesus expects us to make progress, and as we make progress, as we show initiative, I've just shared with you four New Testament examples that he rewards those who show initiative. And from the varying rewards, the story continues then with the principle that feeble or fearful servants are are judged fairly. There are some who are lost in their fear. Now, now notice the scripture says, "I knew that you were a severe man," or the NIV says, "I know that you were a hard man." I think it's important for us to realize that the word that uh, Luke uses here to talk about being severe or hard does not imply that he is mean or that he is crooked. The word that Luke uses here would have been well understood by any physician, as Luke was. It means being strict in requirement. And it's used especially of persons who practice rigid discipline or strictly supervise others. I think maybe this is the best example. It's not mean-spirited. It's simply holding accountable to exact results. Have you ever been to the pharmacist and was told it's too early to refill that prescription? They don't tell you that because they're trying to be mean. They're not trying to withhold your drugs. They're not trying to keep you sick. But if you try to refill a prescription early, they are held, they're required by license to keep close account of the dosage so that abuse or unintended consequences do not happen. It's motivated by concern that the pharmacist says, This is what you're allowed, this many for this long of a time. And that word of strictly holding to account is the word that Luke uses here for I realize that you were a hard or a severe judge he says i realize that this king are one who holds account this man's challenge is not that he's being held to an unfair standard but he allowed fear to keep him from doing what was wise The one man who said, yes, I know you gave me Amina, and I know that you will expect me to do it right, so I just hid it in a handkerchief at home. His challenge was not that the king was being unjust or harsh or mean. His problem was that he allowed his fear to keep him from doing the wise thing. And fear can be a strong contributor to, to our disobedience. Fear of embarrassment can keep us from trying that new ministry. Fear of not knowing all the answers keep us from evangelizing our neighbor. Fear of failure keeps us from stepping out in faith. Fear of shame Keeps us from tackling that hurt, that hang up, or that habit. Some of us allow fear to paralyze us, just as this man allowed fear to paralyze him from investing the Mina that he had been given. But we should not be bound by fear because even in this story, we are told that our losses will be limited. This frightened and feeble servant lost the use of his mina, but he did not lose his place in the kingdom. Look at the text in front. They said, take the mina away from him and give it to this man, but the man was not kicked out of the kingdom. He did not lose his place in the kingdom, even though he lost the use of the mina. And that's because... Our place in God's kingdom is totally paid for by the obedience of Christ unto death. We are in the privileged position of being in His kingdom and we have nothing to prove, we have nothing to lose, and we have everything to gain. What a wonderful position. Because of our security in Christ, we don't have to fear loss, but we have everything to gain when we show initiative. It was over 70 years ago that Jim Elliott wrote in his journal after graduating from Wheaton College, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You're no fool if you act in faith because you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. So my challenge for us this morning is not to be like the one who hid the mina in a handkerchief, but to be like the one who invested and and saw an increase of 5 or the one who invested and found an increase of 10 to see what needs to be done and to do something with the gifts that God has given to us. Motivational speakers have been known to inspire the imagination by asking, What endeavor would you undertake if you were guaranteed not to lose? What endeavor would you undertake if you were guaranteed not to lose? And let's take that dream, let's take that imagination, let's take that aspiration and realize we are secure in God's kingdom. We have nothing to prove, nothing to lose, but everything to gain. It was way back in the early 1900s, over 100 years ago, when William Borden wrote three lines in the back of his Bible. No reserves. There will be no plan B. No retreat. His move to the mission field could never be undone. And three, no regrets. He did not question any of his decisions to trust God. So I ask you this morning, what treasures, talents, Or relationships, have you allowed fear to keep you from surrendering to the Lord's use? What are the opportunities? What is the call that God is saying, do this? Reach out to this person. And up to now, you've allowed fear to keep you from saying yes. Jesus is saying, show initiative see what needs to be done, and to do it. I ask you this morning, what initiatives have been prompted by God's Spirit that you've allowed your fears to squash? What is that specific area where you sense this morning God is calling you to exchange your fear for faithfulness? We've already seen that faithful and fearful servants within the kingdom. But what about those who are outside the kingdom? For Jesus concludes this parable by saying that the enemies will be judged finally. In verse 27. I mentioned earlier that being responsible to God's call is based upon our being response able. We are able to respond in fear, in faith, or rejection. And Jesus addresses those who respond to his call with rejection. Some respond to his offer of lordship with rejection. And to those who reject Christ as their master, he does not force himself. God is not going to force you into heaven. But one thing that you need to know, in heaven, Jesus is king. So if you don't want Jesus to be your king, you don't want to be in heaven. And so he says the slaughtering of those detractors is what happened to those who opposed Herod's sons. Remember, Herod, two sons, went away, came back. He slaughtered, or they slaughtered those who did not want them. And Jesus says, agony, spiritual death is what happens to all who decide that they do not want Christ to reign over them. So you're response able. You're able to respond in faith, in fear, or rejection. You may have seen the title of the sermon being hoarding and investing, and many of you think of that as a financial term. The thing is that those who hoard are actually being driven by fear. And those who invest are being driven by hope. So the message for us today is, is are you going to be controlled by fear or controlled by hope? Fear moves us to withdraw, to withhold, and to wilt. But hope, hope propels us to risk, to faith, And two, initiative. Faith moves us to do what needs doing. As followers of Jesus Christ, we never retreat until the things that he asks us to do gets done. There, now you can fill in those last two blanks that you were wondering. Disciples do not rest until do gets done. I believe the Holy Spirit this morning is calling us to rise up and to move forward in faith. Rather than to be like the one who says, I took your mina, wrapped it in a handkerchief, and kept it in a lower drawer. Our final song for this morning is number 200.